Hi everyone, my name is Agustin Varela, your Agile trainer. Today on the show we are having Sunil Mundra, Principal Consultant, Advisory at ThoughtWorks and author of Enterprise Agility, Being Agile in a Changing World. Great book indeed. Hi Sunil, thanks for joining. It's a really great pleasure. Thank you, Augustine, for giving me this opportunity to have uh, this conversation with you. Uh, I know we are geographically uh, spread apart quite a bit. You in Peru, me in Singapore, 13 hour time difference, but we are still able to make this work. So I am delighted to, delighted to be a part of this conversation. Okay, thank you. Thank you for joining. So uh, firstly, can you please tell us about your background and personal experience and why you decided to write this remarkable book? Sure, Augustine. Uh, so I have 30 plus years of experience, uh, of, of which uh, 20 years is in the IT industry, um, and of which 10 years is in ThoughtWorks. So before I moved to ThoughtWorks, uh, I was a business analyst, product manager uh, for companies in the financial services domain. And in ThoughtWorks, over the last 10 years, I have worked with organizations and leaders across the world to implement change programs, to help with agile transformations, and also to help leaders shift their mindset from a traditional mindset to an agile mindset. Uh, and it's been a very fulfilling experience for me to observe um, the challenges as well as the enablers related to agility across the world and what I saw through my work are some patterns which were common across industries and across geographies. And it is from that perspective that I felt like um, sharing those patterns with the external world. And that the, the, the spirit of sharing essentially was the prime driver uh, behind me writing my book. Uh, but I was really struck by one fact which stood out uh, when I looked at you know, the, all the challenges which the organizations are facing and the crux of it boils down to the fact that organizations are structured as closed ended or mechanistic systems. So many organizations still follow the model where uh, they are structured based on a work which was physical in nature. But now, as we all know, we do knowledge work and we all do knowledge work across industries because now technology is a core part of every product, every offering that you have for the customer. Uh, which means that uh, organizations were and are living systems, but uh, it is now even more important that they be modeled as such. And I felt that there was not enough recognition of that fact uh, in the literature that at least I had seen. And I therefore felt strongly that I should put out my perspective about that uh, and that is the core concept in my book. So that's one of, that's actually the main reason why I wrote the book. Great. And so you said that you are in Singapore and um, when did you move there from, from India or were you somewhere in be between before that? Can you please? Yeah, so, right. So as part of ThoughtWorks, I mean, I have uh, traveled to all six continents. Um, to speak at conferences and also to work with clients. Um, but in terms of significant stays, uh, I have spent time in South Africa. 
uh, few months actually, in Italy a year, uh, a little bit more than a year and a half in UK and intermittently some time in India and then I moved to Singapore. So I moved to Singapore about 19 months ago, uh, last year in February. Great, thank you. So, well, th thanks for, for the introduction, Sunil. Um, the book is, is great. I, I read it uh, last year and it was really revealing. Thanks for, for that. Um, and well, as I told you, my experience is mostly on, on team agility. Mm -hmm. Actually, I, I train a lot of, of teams, uh, right in, in Scrum and Kanban and, and other, other, you know, good practices on Agile. But um, yeah, I, I lack right at the program and the enterprise level. Uh, what do you suggest to enable agility uh, on those levels and you know at the program and enterprise level, right? To up upgrade from from the bases from the teams. And what are the the main challenges you know you you have uh, gone through all these years? Great question, uh, Augustine. So if you look at uh, agile practices, right, their origin lies in software development. So, I mean, it is obvious that uh, they, the practices and the ceremonies related to agile are popular uh, in terms of improving agility of teams and they have shown very good results as well at the team level. But the challenge that happens is that even though you may have improvement or increase in agility at the team level, if the rest of the organization does not change its ways of working and is still deep rooted in the traditional mindset and the traditional ways of working, the inertia of the rest of the organization overpowers the green shoots within the teams and the teams then regress back to old ways of doing things. Uh, because the rest of the organization is not supportive in terms of sustaining agility at the team level. That is why um, it is very important that while surely you can start uh, implementing agile practices and ceremonies and ways of working at the team level, from my experience, it is also important to begin making changes across the enterprise so as to enable the agility to permeate throughout the enterprise. Uh, and, and move it to a path where then it becomes uh, self-sustaining at a certain point in time. And uh, the way that I have approached it normally is that while you may work at the team level in terms of what I call as doing agile, but the mind shift change, the alignment with the leaders uh, uh, in terms of the outcomes that they expect, uh, whatever concerns they might have, especially at the middle management level, all those things also must be worked upon while you are demonstrating deliver of value at the team level as well. So the, the key thing that uh, you need to see is that you need to establish value streams in terms of your products or your offerings for the customers. And when you look at a value stream, uh, it comprises of, I think broadly three parts, the why, which is your strategy and your company uh, goals, objectives, mission, vision, whatever you want to call it, right? The what is 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 your business offering uh, or your products or your services or your offerings, whatever you may want to call them. And the how part is the delivery part of it. How do you actually create that product and get it out to the customer? 
So you need to align the why, what, and the how for every value stream. And while you're doing that, there, is, there are all these supporting functions which are there around the value streams. For example, the HR function, the finance function, the audit and compliance function, the procurement function. So all these support functions often have some role to play in the value stream, right? And unless you align them so that they don't become uh, impediments in the value stream, uh, whatever changes you make or whatever practices and mindset change that you do for the people who are connected inside the value stream, uh, it will become a drag unless you don't enable the supporting departments within the organization also to align with the uh, delivery of value uh, as defined in the value stream. So while their concerns are important, for example, say audit and compliance, but nonetheless, how can you still align them to ensure that they don't drag the agility down, but they become actually enablers of agility rather than a department which, uh, which actually drags down agility. So that is why it is important to look at this from an enterprise perspective and every part of the enterprise uh, must at some point in time um, become uh, agile, not only in their ways of working, but more importantly, in the mindset as well. Great, thank you, Sunil. But based on your experience, um, I mean, how do you do that? This, I mean, maybe in ThoughtWorks, uh, I mean, you start, uh, right, uh, I mean, bo bottom, down, I mean, yeah, bottom up or top down or in the middle, because you're right. I mean, if you don't have the support of maybe of the CEO and the VP, the agility won't spread, right, throughout the, the organization. Yeah. But I mean, but maybe on a startup or on a small company, it's easy, right, to, to have... A, I mean, all these uh, levels connected, but maybe in, in, a, in a big company, I mean, of hundreds or, or thousands, I mean, what is your strategy? Yeah. So if you look at transformation in terms of uh, broad high-level stages or change in terms of you know, high-level stages, there are four of them. I have called those out in my book as well, right? So the first stage, is a show stage where you actually go into the organization and work with the teams to demonstrate that this works within your context, within your organization. There are many skeptics though that this can work in many other company. It will never work in my company or our company. Yeah, that's a common uh, uh, skepticism that you hear from people that this yeah. is okay for startups, yeah. but in an enterprise context, this will never work, right? Uh -huh. What you then do is you work with the teams to demonstrate that it can still work and it can still deliver some value and you will get speed, you will get quality, you will get visibility, transparency, all the good things that come with if you do agile uh, practices and ceremonies properly at the team level, right? So that then actually creates an appetite for the change. But while you do that, it is also important to align the leaders to understand what are their pain areas, what are the drivers that they are looking at in terms of uh, what is important for the organization, right? Are they looking at innovation? Is quality the biggest problem right now? Is time to market an issue right now? So what you have to do is do a diagnostic study just the way a doctor would do a diagnostic study of a human body to look at different parameters 
and as consultants you you know you're trained to do that you look trained to look at some numbers for example the lead time the cycle time uh, you know those are like some of the important metrics for you to understand uh, you know where you are uh, for example uh, i work with the client where their idea to cash cycle time was close to 2 years uh and and that clearly is not acceptable in today's era right i mean who will wait for two years for a new product to come out um so when you when you go there and they have these pain areas but when you also highlight that with some numbers uh based on the discovery or the analysis that you do uh then leaders are willing to look at uh, uh, uh saying that yes we need a change and they begin to change their mindset often it happens that the senior management is all aligned then they believe that the organization will change but the middle managers are very very skeptical yeah because they fear that their role will become redundant uh, because in agile teams are self organizing empowered so what does a middle manager do so many times this frozen middle as is often called resists change um and you have to work with them to understand how their role changes from being somebody who just passes up and down information and creates detailed plans which become anyway outdated uh, you know pretty quickly how their role changes from that to be a mentor a coach uh, uh, an impediment remover for the team how this person or these middle managers need to spend more time on the ground with the team and with the customers so you do that for a part of the organization for or for a single value stream uh, and so the first stage is show the second stage is scale right or you can call it a shift stage also depending on where the organization is so you can shift between or you can move between shift and scale scale is that you replicate the same ways of working across multiple value streams so that it gains critical mass and shift is working towards a mindset change not only with the middle management but with the other departments and functions as well so you have then probably sh uh, a show uh, a shift a scale and then finally a sustained stage so before you get to sustain you need to identify internal champions who can then take this forward within the organization because you are an external agent you can't be there forever as a consultant uh, and it has to become self sustaining and then you create these internal champions but it's all about uh, making sure that the concerns of various departments are addressed the silos are broken and that everybody is aligned to delivering a common outcome and the success criteria for everybody uh is largely the same i think that is very important uh for this to becoming self sustaining okay thanks uh, sunil and that, now that you mentioned uh champions um yeah that that's another approach uh, other people call them ambassadors but mm -hmm. can you, you please elaborate more on that on that figure about champion is it a formal role or figure or how how do you find these uh, champions and how, how do you empower them uh, right in in the organization to to leverage this uh, agility yeah so when you introduce any kind of change right you will have what is called as a change adoption curve so there will be uh, people who are innovators uh, right early adopters early majority late majority and laggards that's a normal uh, curve which has been found to be prevalent in in almost uh, all areas of change uh, that's that's how the pattern is 
So you need to look for those people who are excited and who believe in this change and groom them to become champions because you need that passion that people need to have to take this forward and to be able to, 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 be able to carry the others with them, right? That is number one. But that is, of course, more at the ground level. But at the senior executive level, you need an executive sponsor, maybe two executive sponsors or three, depending on the size of the organization who are closely connected with the change and who are involving removing impediments as you encounter them whenever you introduce change or as you scale up change. And these people need to have the influence within the organization to remove those impediments. That's why the involvement of some very, very senior executive as a change champion or what we call as the change sponsor uh, is very important. And to me, these roles are full-time roles, um, especially till uh, you know the transformation reaches some level of critical mass, uh, because there is a lot of uh, communication which is involved. There are a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of convincing involved with people. Um, people will have a lot of uh, uncertainties, doubts, questions, and uh, you know these these change champions, including the senior one, will have to meet with people to address them and also work with the rest of the organization to make sure that they are actually not bulldozed but they are convinced also to remove these impediments you know as we move forward right so it is a lot of uh, influencing work that these people need to do and it is very intense work and therefore my suggestion is that when you identify these change champions you've got to you know give them the mandate and you have to make sure that they are full-time committed to this role Okay, thank you, Sunil. And where, where do you find um, more uh, comfortable, I mean, on, on moving these changes? Uh, I mean, on the top, I mean, working with the CEO and, you know, his VPs in, in a middle layer with, you know, management or working with teams, I mean, uh, Sunil, no, in, in in a daily basis. I mean, where is you know more more fitted or more comfortable working with? I think each layer has their own challenges, uh, uh, you know. And I enjoy working across all three levels. <laughs> we really all, yeah. But I have often found uh, it's not so much a challenge at the team level. Yeah, they are willing to adopt a newer practices because if you go in traditional organizations, people are struggling. There are quality issues. People are spending 12, 14 hours a day. Uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating. People are doing the work. They're not getting the satisfaction. It's a sad reality. Uh, and, and when you show people that, you know, things can be done in a different way, that you can be empowered, you work as a team rather than as individuals, you are, you are more closely connected to the business. And you can see success quite easily because when you start delivering software incrementally, right, you actually see stuff going out to the customer and you're getting feedback quickly as compared to a waterfall where you may not get any feedback for a year or a year and a half or even more. Otherwise, there's just paperwork and code and that's it, right? So you don't get a sense of accomplishment. But when you actually start delivering working software iteration by iteration, uh, it's very easy for the team to get excited and i have seen this right so when we start with a few teams you see the buzz and the excitement within the team who have adopted ways of working versus those who have not there's a clear difference in the energy level of the teams 
so on the team level it's it's a relatively easy win as compared to the others senior exec also often they are convinced because they are feeling the pressure from outside they are seeing what other companies are doing yeah uh, they are seeing that technology uh, can be leveraged by even a small startup to create a threat threat for them uh, so they are more i would say worldly wise in general and of course these are generalizations so i really don't mean to put down any layer or any person uh but the senior execs are more worldly wise i i would say in that sense um so it's again uh possible to get that alignment a little bit easier over there sometimes it's the ceo who's aligned uh and who's really passionate about it but the people one level below are not uh and that can start at whatever level but usually it's the middle management level which is the toughest but i empathize with them uh i think uh, you know there is reason for a lot of uncertainty because their role has to change drastically uh and and unless somebody hands holds them through that and shows them what that new role looks like and how they still have a place in the organization to add value that uncertainty is there and i i would say that if a transformation is dragging majority of the times it is the frozen middle who is responsible for dragging the transformation back and usually they are not paid much attention to they are expected to fall in line uh, you know as as the senior executives are falling in line or the ceo uh, you know believes that people should fall in line just because he or she said it um, but that doesn't happen actually uh, unless they are convinced and they are brought into this change so that level to me is the most challenging one to work with but as i said i enjoy uh, the challenges at all the three levels yeah that Yeah that that's nice now I I'm moving uh yeah to to work with uh, that middle layer that that you just referred to mm -hmm. uh I'm a um a management 3.0 facilitator and and yeah. yeah I focus mostly on that on you know delegation team motivation empowerment but there's mm -hmm. a lot of yeah politics and lo lobbying right in between that that, that sometimes you come across you know th those fires in, in between so it's yeah. Yeah. sometimes it's kind of frustrating right yes it is it is uh, you know again politics happens because the whole model of how do you look at success is very individual centric and again that came from the manufacturing era when people worked on machines right so you would measure an individual's productivity but today knowledge work requires us to bring all skills together to work as a team an individual output it does not mean anything unless the whole team comes together and becomes successful an individual producing a uh, uh, better output or extra output really has no meaning whatsoever yeah so i think the the challenge has to be then in terms of how do we break these silos and how do we align outcomes across people and how do we make those outcomes common as teams uh, rather than as individuals because when you have individual level outcomes you make people compete against each other and especially if we introduce a bell curve in that then it is it is a question of survival for people and that is when uh, people start playing politics that's my hypothesis uh, but there is there is a way around that and Uh, one of my favorite books is called the goal by elia goldrat which is on theory of constraints i'm sure you read that and there is a famous uh, 
statement which I, with one of the characters has said in that book, which is that you tell me how you measure me, I will tell you how I will behave. So I think we really need to change our measurement systems uh, to align with uh, outcomes that matter uh, and focus on team level outcomes rather than individual heroics or individual level outcomes. Yeah, thanks, Sunil. Yeah, actually, I, I just finished reading this. I don't know if you read it, uh, the Phoenix uh, project on, on DevOps, which is yes. based mostly on that, uh, the, the goal, right, from Elia Weldrad. Actually, I have that book, uh, the goal on my backlog, but based on the Phoenix project, it says that um, the, the goal is like the, the basis from, from all this lean and Kanban and DevOps, right, thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what do you think about that, about, uh, um, yeah, the, the theory of constraints from Goldtrad and, and you know, removing all, all these uh, blockades. So, I think theory of constraints is fundamental uh, in, my, in my view, and it's been one of those foundational books which has influenced my thinking as a consultant a lot. Because in any organization you go, you cannot solve all the constraints at the same time. What you need to do is look at what is that biggest constraint that you want to solve? What is that critical blocker? And you focus all your energies on solving that. After you do that, then the next most important constraint will emerge and you go on solving that. So any system will always have a constraint. Uh, there is no system which is going to be perfect. Yeah? But the point is then to look at this continuously and make sure that the severity of the constraint is reduced as you solve those bigger and bigger and bigger constraints. Uh, and this is all about aligning to value, uh, uh, right? Rather than just solve a constraint just for the sake of it. So to me, uh, I think I think uh, theory of constraints is a is a huge enabler to approaching uh, a change or to approaching uh, how you want to begin to uh, enhance agility within an organization. Okay, thank you. And um, you you said that I mean it's back that. Um, yeah, most of the agile, I mean, when they fail at the agile transformations, mostly is because there are some, uh, uh, yeah, blockades in the middle management, because mm -hmm. maybe the, the, the senior executives uh, already bought, right, that, that uh, transformation, or maybe the headquarters is pushing so so that they have um, you know not um, an alternative and the, the the teams are also always eager right to uh, to use modern practices and so mm -hmm. maybe well two questions in one uh, firstly why do you think most of the agile you know, quote, the agile transformations are failing. And also, why do you think they fail in that uh, middle management, which, well, you already said. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think the word transformation uh, is uh, become a buzzword and is used very, very uh, loosely uh, by, by people. Uh, 
So transformation implies that you have changed from one state to another. Uh, and people set unrealistic timelines uh, for transformation. To make that kind of a change which is so drastic across the organization. See, this is not a, a, a uh, this is, organization is not a machine that you just take one part and you just replace it with another part and it starts working, right? It's not a mechanistic system. So it will take its own time because it is very organic in nature. And because of the complexity, you don't know how it's going to react. Also, I think history shows that if you have to cement all these practices before they become muscle memory across all your departments and the mindset change for everybody to happen, and that change curve, which I spoke about, right? The late majority and the laggards also to come on board with change. It takes a lot of time. Often, it can take anywhere between three to five years for an organization which is 1,000 people or more. Yeah. And I think that senior executives today don't have that kind of patience. So people are saying that, oh, we will make sure that we are transformed within 18 months or two years, or they themselves come up with some deadline in their own mind and they think they can work backwards from it. Change does not work that way, right? Because you are dealing with complexity, there will be a lot of emergent situations. My belief is that in every complex situation, any intervention is only a hypothesis because you don't know how the system is going to react to it. Yeah. So what people are doing is they are taking a checklist-driven approach to transformation. Okay, I have done so many trainings. So many teams are doing scrum, so many teams are doing stand-up, so many teams are writing user stories. Yeah, so my transformation is done. And people in a hurry to announce a transformation is done because their bonuses, their promotions, a uh, lot of publicity depends on that. Uh, right, so, so I think there are, there are reasons why executives want to rush into saying that Yes, we have done this and we teams are doing this and therefore we are transformed. But as I said earlier, you might be doing all of that and you might be getting the benefits as well. But when you leave it at that and when you don't transform the rest of the organization and say the transformation is successful, as I said, the inertia of the rest of the organization will kill all the good things that you have done within the team and the teams will regress back. So, I have seen organizations who are now going through multiple waves of transformation. So every three, four years, some new transformation executive or change agent comes in and announces a transformation. And they are now finish it in one or two years and that person moves away. And then everything goes back to normal and then a second person comes. I have seen at least one client where they were going through a fourth wave of transformation. And they began sometime in 2005-06 and they are now in their fourth wave of transformation. So what this is doing in companies is it is bringing in a lot of change fatigue. So people are saying, oh no, not again. Right. Uh, people are losing faith uh, that, you know, this is also just a passing fad and like this will also go away. So people are becoming even more skeptical uh, about change. So this is, this is really the problem of people rushing to uh, complete transformations. The second point, why the numbers are not changing? Because if you don't change your mindset, if you just do things mechanically, the end results are not going to change. 
and therefore you will see that yeah transformation people are calling them unsuccessful because the outcomes uh, which you want to influence have not changed despite you think you brought in agile ways of working but if people do those mechanically we all know that unless people do it with the understanding of the why and with the right mindset uh, and with the right amount of cultural change uh, in the organization the the results will not be better and that's why uh, i think many transformations are uh, not having that impact and they are actually making things worse rather than things better if you just leave them halfway and declare them as done yeah yeah you you're right i agree with that but i mean how then because the, the managers want to to measure right that that success of that agile transformation because they need to show right to to the to the company that that the the company is uh, more agile right so i mean how then uh, we give them numbers because you said yeah we can uh, say that it's about practices that you have more scrum teams or they are doing the daily you know stand up or that they have more kanban boards whatever but in the end it's all about numbers right time to market uh, right the clients customer satisfaction whatever cost reduction but you know this stuff about showing uh, outcome versus outputs and the OKR. So how, how do you work on that, Sunil? I think uh, it has to be tied to the pain areas which the organization is facing. Okay? There is also needs to be an education that if you don't change, you will perish. Mm -hmm. Right? And that recognition has to come. So it's, it's that fine. You may be protecting your own job uh, or be feeling secure about it today. But if the whole company goes down, what is the point? Right? So this threat of change, which is, uh, or the threat of disruption, I should say, which is constantly there in the environment today and the pace of technological change, which is happening and the disruptions it's going to cause, there needs to be a buy-in into that, that we need to change and we need to change constantly. Right? And unless you recognize the need for change, you cannot change. Change cannot be enforced. Right? So organizations, you know, need to recognize that they have no choice but to embrace change and evolution. And that recognition sometimes comes at the senior executive level, as I said, but the middle management is still not bought into it. Right? And often you have to then change the way you assign success to them uh, to make them fall in line. Because as I said, right, how you measure success is how people behave. First of all, the senior executives have to start changing their own mindset. I have seen organizations where the senior executives want everybody to change, but they continue to behave. Right? So it's never going to work that way. So the change in mindset has to start at the top. I am fully convinced about it. Right? And that change then should percolate down in terms of uh, you know, the behavior, the mindset, and the culture. 
See, behavior and mindset again is a recursive loop. Yeah, what they both influence each other. But the way to break that loop is to change behaviors of people and incentivize people to behave in the right way and disincentivize to uh, uh, people to avoid some behaviors which are putting the organization back. Uh, but the role modeling has to start with the senior leadership and the expectations then have to be set at the middle management level as well that this is the behavior we expect. These are behaviors to be discouraged. We will not accept these kind of behaviors. And if you behave in the right way, yes, that's what success looks like. Uh, and, and slowly then the mind shift and the culture uh, in the organization begins to change. But it's a, it's, it's, it, it's a tricky thing to do. Uh, it needs a lot of grit. It needs a lot of patience. Uh, it needs a lot of perseverance. Uh, it needs a lot of communication, counseling, mentoring, coaching. All the softer things have to come into play. And that's when that happens. See, many times, again, we see organizations which want to change when they are actually facing the threat of survival. And by then, it is too late. Right? So this organizations which are doing well today need to recognize that they need to bring in that nimbleness uh, as 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 the change that is happening in the external environment is so exponential. Okay, thank you, Sunil, for that. And uh, based on your experience, right, on agile evolutions, right, across Asia, even Africa, you, you said that you've been to yep. South Africa, also Europe, you, you were in, in the UK, uh, and also right uh, your experience in, in the US I mean what's the impact of the local culture for enable agility and adopting the, the agile mindset I mean do you think there's a like a, a local way I mean what's your, your perception on that all right so my view is that if you allow the local culture to dominate it will Okay, so in some countries, there is a very uh, boss driven culture where authorities always to be respected. Whatever the boss says is always right. You're not supposed to challenge the boss because the boss is the boss, right? Mm -hmm. So that, but there are countries where, hey, you know, it doesn't matter. You, if you are the boss, that's your role. I still have a voice on the table and that's okay mm -hmm. to do, right? So there are different cultures across the world. And again, there is nothing right or wrong about this, but there are some cultures where uh, because it is a hierarchical driven organization and people play into the hierarchy it does become an impediment to agility and the adoption rate definitely is slower in general in those countries where uh, the the respect for authority or the i would say it's not just respect right it's like it's like blind adherence to authority uh, i think that's where in general the level of uh, uh, agile adoption or improvement in agility is a little bit lower as compared to the rest of the world. But having said that, let me give you an example of what works. Right? We are in in 13, 14 countries. We used to be at one time in Africa as well, uh, and we have 40 offices across the globe. Now we work, so we have people who are coming in from different cultures. But when you are in works, we have our own culture, which supersedes, you know, the culture of 
the local culture or at least the bad parts of the local culture right so of course there will be a little bit of cultural flavor uh, uh, you know the language etc uh, you know all those things are local but at the same time what we try to do is we try to create a culture within thoughtworks which is based on our own core values and principles right which is not contrary to the local culture but at the same time it is not taking the bad practices of the local culture as well yeah so we try to take you know the good practices of a local culture and there are nuances and there are flavors of local culture within each of our offices but the core culture which is there of thoughtworks you will find the same core culture across all our offices across the world so i think it depends on the organization so as i said earlier right if you allow the local culture to take over uh, and if you don't have your own cultural identity as an organization that you believe in then the local culture will prevail uh, uh, more than more than your own corporate culture but if you have a strong corporate culture uh, then yes you can uh, make sure that you can have a uniform culture across the globe uh and uh, overcome the challenges or some of the not so nice things about the local culture uh, with your own culture yeah that that's a good point and actually nowadays i mean i think that although that, as you said i mean you are in singapore i'm in peru right but nowadays and i work a lot with you know organization across latin america um and uh nowadays it's most about as you said right a global culture it doesn't uh depend on when you are but on how you think and how you you push uh, you know things forward and it's you know on the internet era and nowadays that we're all mm -hmm you know working remotely so yeah i think although there's a, a a local flavor and a local culture nowadays it's mostly about you know summing uh, value and, and working as a team uh, wherever you are right correct absolutely right absolutely right yeah i think this has uh, this, this remote working has really brought in a completely different dimension now and it has created its own culture now right the zoom <laughs> culture as we can call it uh, uh, <laughs> uh and i am to be honest with you i'm still getting used to this i mean all my life i worked with people in person and that's what i enjoyed and uh, while I'm, i may get used to this after some time i'm still hoping in my heart that we get back to old ways where you know we we we, we work uh, uh, with people in person rather than remotely but uh, who knows maybe this is a this is a permanent change which has come in and this is all part of evolution for us also yeah and finally sunil you know speaking about you know this you know this sad crisis that you know has spread around the world or the the covid i i think that nowadays it's really revealing that the the comp or based on my experience right that that the companies that were already agile before the crisis adopted uh, better th than others w w what do you think on that i completely agree with you uh, austin right so look at this the whole customer experience for many organizations has changed completely and people who have had the 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 capability to be nimble yeah 
to be able to adapt to change quickly and that is agility i mean agility in my view has three underlying capabilities the ability to sense the ability to adapt and the ability to respond and it is when this kind of crisis strikes is when you know the level of agility in your organization uh, right and you're absolutely right that people who have had the nimbleness or the underlying capabilities of agility especially those relating to adapting and responding are the ones who are thriving today because they have been able to pivot from whatever business model they had to a new business model uh, organizations are known to have uh, you know come up with new products new ways of engaging with customers very very quickly only because you know they have had agility and the mindset of the leaders and the culture within the organization uh, also was very very supportive of that so completely agree with you i think covid crisis um, has as we say separated the men from the boys uh, and 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 the and the and the story is still not over this crisis is still not over by any means right we don't know how this is really going to impact many organizations i mean we see many organizations struggling some industries are struggling but they don't have a choice so even though companies may be agile within those industries unfortunately they have no choice but to uh, go through a bad patch right now uh, especially the travel industry the uh, the tourism industry uh, hotels airlines etc they have no choice but to go through this bad period but there are so many other industries where people have innovated and have done well and mostly organizations which have had very strong digital assets and have been able to leverage those correctly yeah and also been able to uh, you know quickly pivot uh, the customer journeys from physical journeys to digital journeys they are the ones who are doing doing well and have adapted to change and uh, are not only surviving but some of them are thriving as well so yes uh, agility uh, is uh the enabler for many organizations in this covid crisis to be able to uh, actually keep up pace with the uh, uh, you know with this challenge and be able to deal with it in uh, in a better way than many other companies great thanks sunil and well in the end uh, as i told you before we we started with the show uh, i read your book your book it's really uh you know, famous and sold really uh, good here in Latin America. You know, the Agile com community uh, loved it. So are you thinking on, you know, writing <laughs> something else? What, what can you tell to, to our Agile Latin community? Well, um, People have been asking that questions when is the second book coming and to be honest with you, I'm not yet ready for that yet. I think the, the, the first book has taken so much toll on me. It was a grind. Uh, and I wrote that book while working full time, uh, you know, and uh, I think I'm still enjoying the, uh, uh, the, the, what you can say, the attention which the book is getting. Uh, surely I may write another book in the future. Uh, but at least as of now, I'm enjoying talking about the current book itself. Uh, and, and, and my work is keeping me uh, uh, you know, busy as well at this point in time. So 
honestly speaking yeah that's that's the second book is kind of on a low priority for me at least at this moment in time uh, but as they say you never say never uh, mm-hmm. and maybe when the right moment comes uh, maybe uh, i could come up with a second book or maybe a revised edition of this book itself so yeah yeah sure yeah so okay yeah then keep enjoying <laughs> uh this um uh, yeah you know sentiment and also uh yeah you know giving these uh, shows around the world that people really appreciate that so thank you very much uh, sunil for joining today it's a really great pleasure and a great honor thank you thank, thank you, you so very much augustine i i i enjoyed the uh, this conversation as, as well and you you really asked some thought provoking questions uh, which i have enjoyed uh, giving my perspective on so thank you very much for giving me this opportunity okay thank you so much <laughs>